This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. And this is Elizabeth. And this is the Lost in 83 podcast. Hey, Elizabeth, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you, Kevin? I'm surviving. Great. Okay. <laughs> That's all we can do. <laughs> I know. Uh, so today we, specifically you, wanted to talk about cheating and boundaries. Yeah. Did you want to like kick us off and kind of give us an idea of like what are rules and what are boundaries and what do we mean when we say those things? Okay. Rules and boundaries come to play in almost every relationship. They overlap somewhat, but I think that it's important to differentiate the two. Rules are kind of like your own hard limits that you present to your partner and say, do not cross this line. You know, this is my hard limit. Don't do this. Whether that is a limit about uh, who you can have sex with or who you can have emotional connections with or whatever it is. Rules are kind of like hard and fast and uh, they're about... This is my comfort. I don't want you to hurt me by breaking these rules. So I think that's kind of what that means. Boundaries, on the other hand, are more like, let's look internally and figure out what our comfort levels are when it comes to what we need to be healthy in a relationship. Ultimately, you can't really control what other people do. So boundaries are kind of where you go, okay, what can I, what can I, how can I thrive in my dynamics? What can I put up with? What are my you know, what are my comfort zones? So I feel like they're a little softer in some ways than rules. Um, but, you know, my relationships have both. Um, and I think that they're both a legitimate topic of discussion in the polyamorous community. Definitely. I, I see a lot of people who, when they first start out, out the gate, they have a laundry list of rules, especially if you are someone in a monogamous relationship and transitioning that relationship into a non-monogamous relationship. Definitely. There are a lot of things that people try to put in place to preserve that relationship. And that's been a position that I was in in the past, and I understand why people do it. I've seen it as a little bit counterproductive at times. It can feel very stifling. The The idea that I was seeking when I was doing it was to seek some sort of comfort that I wouldn't be replaced or that would address my insecurities, even though I wasn't cognizant or aware of that was what I was doing and why. Looking back on it, it seems a lot clearer to me now after having done it. What are some examples of rules that you have in your relationships? Honestly, much like you in the beginning of my polyamory journey, I had a laundry list of rules. It was like, you know, if you want to date someone else, then you need to tell me this amount of time ahead of time and I need to like meet them and they've got to be friends with our friends and this is the emotional connection I'm comfortable with and like all of that. And nowadays, honestly, my only rule is about sexual safety. You know, when it comes to fluid bonding, I need my partners to talk to me before they, like, fuck someone new without a condom. And that is basically the rule. <laughs> yeah. Everything else for me is kind of a boundary, you know, like my comfort zones. But uh, I would say that they're both important to know. They're both about self-exploration and they're both about, you know, facing your own insecurities, like you were saying. I think in the beginning, we all have a lot of fear about losing our partners or losing our own value in a relationship. And we all want to feel valuable in a relationship. We all want to feel like we are unique and irreplaceable and we want to feel loved. And so 
I think that it's normal to react to a new polyamorous relationship by saying, these are all my requirements. But over time, I find that a lot of people kind of relax a little bit and say, okay, well, you know, I've seen that I can trust you. We've been together for a while now and, you know, it's going okay. And so, and you learn a lot along the way. Polyamory is very much like trial and error for a lot of people because we don't have examples of polyamory in the media the same way that monogamous people do. And so we're all kind of figuring this out on our own. Yeah. I mean, the the great thing is that if you're lucky, then you'll have a local community that's supportive and will be able to help you on the journey and people that you can talk to. Um, and sometimes that can be in short supply. And that's part of the reason why we have this podcast is to provide people an outlet for gaining information from people who have done this before. Exactly. Uh, what's an example of one of your boundaries to kind of counter or provide an alternate example of how the boundary differs from your rule? I would say that one example of my boundaries is maybe my partners dating their toxic exes. Again, this has not happened to me yet, but I, you know, it could, who knows. Um, I would not say that you can't date your exes is like a hard and fast rule, but I do feel like we usually break up for a reason. And sometimes that reason is because the other person was, or it was not a very healthy relationship for whatever reason. And so... I feel like uh, a boundary of mine is, you know, please don't go back to so-and-so and pursue a relationship with them because I feel like they were a negative force in your life as well as mine. Yeah. And so when we're in polyamorous relationships, you know, your partner's partner can affect your life. Yeah. And so I feel like it's reasonable to want to be comfortable with your metamors. And so that's more of a boundary for me. Yeah, um, to kind of spring off of what you're, you were talking about, my general MO when I'm talking to people about my relationships, like how I explain my relationships to people and how I handle rules versus expectations is that I have very few rules and a lot of understandings. And that kind of goes into this conversation of uh, boundaries in that for me... I have effectively one rule, and that is a written document about what's expected for sexual contact. I was just going to ask you if you write things down, because my partners and I do have a written document as well. Yeah, and I I fought it for a long time, like having something written down. And after dating some people and having people who I dated in their metamors, my partner's partners, say that they understood rules in a group setting and then break those rules outside of the group and not effectively communicate to us what had happened uh, made us realize that like, hey, we should put this down in writing so that everybody, nobody can say, oh, you never said that specifically. It's like, right. no, everything's written down and really cut and dry. It's two paragraphs long. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it covers everything that we need to. And it specifies at the bottom of those two paragraphs, this is a living document. And anyone who is expected to be held to it has a say in how it evolves in the future. And that allows us the space to be able to either pare back or add on to those rules. But outside of that, I've, I very much don't like having rules 
written down in my relationships in general. And that's where a lot of these understandings or, you know, what we would probably call just boundaries in line. And one of those boundaries is uh, that when I'm starting to date people and as I continue my relationships, I I always want to be able to speak to or have one-on-one time with, you know, my partner once a week. Mm-hmm. And once people stop doing that or being that involved in my life, then that's when I start considering like, hey, is this person meeting what I need for partnership? Mm-hmm. And even with that in place right now, I'm in a point where I'm questioning my relationships in I think a healthy way. But I feel like it's important to focus on the you when you're thinking about your boundaries. And the rules are something that apply to everybody. And your boundaries are about what you're willing to put up with. Do you exactly. feel like that? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that reevaluation is an important and constant uh, event, especially in polyamorous relationships, because yeah. people change. Our needs change, our desires change. This applies to everyone. And relationships change. And your compatibility changes. Yeah. And so reevaluation is necessary. And I mean, that, that's one of those things when I talk to monogamous people, I really harp on because I'm like, hey, even if you're not poly, you should be checking in with your partner. Your partner is changing. And this concept of people being solid and people never static. changing. It's yeah. Static. Yeah. Yeah. People ne- never changing isn't the reality that I've experienced ever in my yeah, life. Yeah. You know, growing up with my parents, my parents have changed as people throughout the time I've known them. And, you know, I've known them all my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so having times where you check in with your partner explicitly, I try to do that weekly when I'm living with somebody. Um, and honestly, it's really terrible to say, but like a lot of my partners, I don't have regular check-ins with anymore. And it's something that I really want to have, but is difficult to get in my relationship dynamics at the moment. There's one partner, uh, the one you're most familiar with, her and I, I don't feel like there's any need to have Mm check-ins because her and I at any point feel comfortable expressing to one another what we need and what's changed. Well, that's great. You've got an open line of communication. Yeah. And and so for that, I don't feel like there's any loss, although like it, it could never hurt to have those explicit times where we, you know, check in. But you know, we, we could probably do a whole episode on check-ins. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that'll be next episode. But back on to boundaries and rules, are there anything else that you wanted to add about that? No, just uh, I, I agree. Things change. Relationships change. I try to have check-ins once a month with my partners, and it's become a little ritual, kind of like a little date, you know, and a really good way to make sure that you're on the same page. And if yeah. you're not, then you adjust. You know, you both adjust and you both figure out is this still working for us? Are we still getting what we need from each other? And then you go from there. And I, I think the idea behind that is really scary and, mm-hmm. and prevents a lot of people from trying it. Yeah. But honestly, sit down with your partner and say like, hey, let's like once a month set up this specific day where we just talk about what we want and what we lead with what you like in your relationship. Yeah. Don't always make the check-in something negative. Yeah. Um, lead with lead with what you like and what has made you happy throughout the week. Things that like your partner are being thoughtful or expressing love to you in a way that really hit home. Mm-hmm. Express that to them because that way they know what makes you happy and they can you know aim towards that when they want to. Yeah. And it becomes less of a like, oh, they're doing this because they know that I like it only. Well, I do things for my partners because I know they like it. 
because that makes me happy. Yeah. And that fulfills me as a partner. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, where we get to cheating would definitely be uh, when one of those rules or one of those boundaries that you've clearly expressed have been crossed. Yes. Um, do you have any experience being cheated on or cheating that you want to share? Wow, Kevin. <laughs> I know, straight out. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, yes, back in my uh, early attempts at monogamy when I was 18, I uh, I did not obey all the rules in my relationship because we, and both of us ended up being in polyamorous relationships, you know, for the rest of our lives. So I think that neither of us was really getting what we wanted. But yes, I I was the infidelitous one in that particular dynamic. And, you know, it happened once and I immediately told her and I regarded it a lot. Um, I think that it was because we weren't having those check-ins and we weren't on the same page in our relationship. Um, we weren't getting what we both needed. We weren't having open communication. There were a lot of little issues like that that made us feel unfulfilled, I guess. And so it was bad. I regret it. But cheating happens all the time. Uh, almost everybody in any relationship experiences infidelity. Either they did it themselves or their partner did. And so mm-hmm. I think that probably says something about human nature yeah. and whether or not we are wired for all of us to be in monogamous relationships or not. Yeah. I think that as a species, we're very bad at monogamy. 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that's just the ones that actually divorce, you know? And there's a lot of unhappiness and infidelity that happens behind the scenes. But my point is, the way that we try to mitigate all of this is with our being on the same page and with our yeah. relationship check-ins and with our boundaries and making sure that those boundaries are actually comfortable and consented to by all parties involved. I don't think I've ever been cheated on, so I'm pretty grateful for that because it is painful. But yeah, cheating does happen in polyamory and it just means that a rule or boundary has been crossed or broken. Yeah. If you're no longer on the same page, then that's what happens sometimes. So people, monogamous people often ask about the relationship between polyamory and cheating. Like, is it the same thing? Can you even cheat in polyamory? Yeah. And I understand those questions. It can be kind of confusing. Before we dive into that really quick, yeah. if you don't mind, I just wanted to kind of maybe push back or provide a counterpoint yeah, please do. to one of the things that you had said. I don't think that the the rate of divorce necessarily points to any sort of issue with monogamy. Because I don't believe that most people believe in the one true love hmm. cultural phenomena. Okay. Um, I think that's the best way for me to be able to explain it. Sure. Uh, carefully and and with respect to people who you know feel that to be true. I I think that relationships end for a lot of reasons, and just because a relationship ends doesn't mean that it's a failure. I agree or that, with that. Or that it's wrong or something was wrong in a monogamous relationship. I think we we see serial monogamy a lot mm-hmm. in default culture and the culture at large in America and the Western world in general. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either monogamy or serial monogamy. I only get frustrated when I hear people being uh, hypocritical mm-hmm. when they have had a series of monogamous relationships all in a row. And then they see me and they're like, Oh, well, you're just not committed to that person. It's mm. like, I've, I've been dating some of my partners for an extraordinary amount of time. Yeah. And I'm very, very happy and, and feel very committed to those people. 
Um, but outside of that, I really think that we, we shouldn't really point towards divorce or breakups as meaning a failure in monogamy, just like a breakup or a divorce in a polyamorous relationship doesn't point towards a problem with polyamory in general. That's a very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, what, what were you about to say about cheating? Hmm. Sorry, that I derailed, okay. but I felt like it was good to, to <laughs> yeah. have that counter. No, that was important. I completely agree. Just because a relationship ends does not mean that it was a failure or a waste of time. We all learn from our relationships. You know, There's a saying that people are in your life either for a, a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And you know, I think it's. I like that. Yeah, it's a cute little way of expressing that people fulfill each other's needs in a variety of ways. And just because you don't stay together from virginity until death doesn't yeah. doesn't mean that it's a failure of a relationship. Yeah, so I completely agree. Yeah. So what one thing to bring up when it comes to cheating and breaking of rules? You, you were mentioning how a lot of people have questions about what is cheating in poly and can you cheat in poly? Yes. And if you don't mind, I can take that over. Go for it. Yeah. So uh, we, we get this question a lot. Uh, me specifically, I don't know if it's indicative of of how I look or just because I'm polyamorous. <laughs> You're the leader. <laughs> I, I am the leader of, of a group of people. And so therefore, like more people come to me with these questions mm -hmm. or, or feel more comfortable asking me what generally would be a rude question in public. Yeah. <laughs> but I I feel very confidently that you can definitely be cheated on if you're polyamorous, mm -hmm. um, just like you can be cheated on if you're monogamous. The difference is that we aren't sticklers for exclusivity. We, we do not see every single thing that our partner does with another human being innocent or not, uh, as being a instance of cheating. But I do see anytime somebody has had a rule set up that is mutually agreed upon by everyone involved in the relationship, that once that has been broken, that something that you had legitimate buy-in to, that you broke an agreement to, that is cheating in the relationship. Yeah. So, you know, not using barriers when you said you would. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. You know, seeking out dates of people when you are supposed to have your partner's uh, approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th th those are the things that like immediately come to mind, but in any sort of rule breaking that happens in a relationship can be cheating and should be, you know, pretty much treated as such. I agree. So a lot of what we've been talking about is the act of infidelity as far as physical acts mm -hmm. a lot of the time. But one of the things that you have brought up, uh, when we were planning on talking about this episode was emotional cheating. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you have a good idea of how to explain that? Well, emotional cheating can can happen in any relationship where where there's already an emotional dynamic in place. I think that most people value the emotional aspect of their relationships probably just as much as the sexual or physical aspect. Yeah. The closeness, the intimacy that you have with your partner's is often very emotional. And so yeah. we value that and we we cherish that. And so when someone pursues that kind of emotional connection or a different kind of emotional connection with someone else, that can bring up a lot of feelings. And if we, if you, let's say that you are feeling neglected emotionally by your partner, and then they go out and pursue emotional connections with other people. In some cases that can count as infidelity. You know, if you're 
if your boundaries are being crossed in that way and if you've talked about something that you're now you know breaking the rules so i think that uh once again it's just about being on the same page and making sure that you both agree to whatever the boundaries are um emotional cheating can totally happen it's it's really any kind of emotional intimacy with other people that that hasn't that you haven't gotten your partner's consent I have a hot take. Go for it. All right. So here's here's how I have understood emotional cheating. I always thought of it, and I don't know if this is just an inaccurate view of what people have been meaning when they try to communicate emotional cheating to me. I always thought of it as like the thought police. Oh, yeah? As you looked at someone, you thought about somebody in a way that was fond, in a way in which we would consider a romantic or fantasizing and therefore that is wrong in a monogamous context. And I've never really seen emotional cheating brought up in purely polyamorous relationships. I've heard people talk about it in polyamorous relationships, but uh, maybe I have a misunderstanding or a different understanding of what emotional cheating is. Because that that was the one thing that I always thought that it meant. And when people had described it, matched up with like, oh, so-and-so caught feelings for so-and-so and and they were emotionally cheating on me. Mm. I'm like, man, that's weird. Because for me, I feel like we have very few, very little control over our feelings, but we have a lot of control over what we do in most circumstances. People that, you know, have severe psychiatric issues or illnesses, people that have developmental issues, like th- there are certain classifications of people at certain times might not be able to control their actions, but on the whole, you know, we should be held responsible for our actions because it's difficult for us to control what we feel. What we feel is a, a reaction to the world around us and based around a lot of things that we don't have any say in, like our genetics and how we were brought up and that kind of thing. And it's more about the, oh, let me in- introspect and like, understand those feelings has been one of the things that I found to be a really big boon of poly that it really encouraged and forced me to have much more introspection about my feelings instead of believing that all of my feelings were 100% a reflection of reality. Right. Or even that your all of your feelings are someone else's responsibility. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Are you saying that emotional cheating is not as much of an issue in polyamorous relationships, do you think? I feel like that's up to the person to decide. But for me personally, mm-hmm. if one of my partners came up to me and said like, oh, I really feel um, drawn to or attracted to, or I'm getting butterflies in my stomach about so-and-so, I'd be like, okay. And, and would probably take that in stride. Unless it was somebody that I had an extraordinarily negative perception of. Like if somebody, you know, let, let, let's not name specific political candidates, but <laughs> let, let's say like somebody who you completely disagree with on a philosophical level. Um, you know, most everybody hates Nazis. Let's just go with that. Yeah, let's so, go with Nazis. <laughs> yeah, somebody, one of my partners caught feelings for a Nazi. I would probably have an emotional reaction to that, but I... Even then, I wouldn't immediately jump to, you're cheating. Mm -hmm. I would say, well, that's not what I would expect from you. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, let's talk about it. 
And who knows if the reality, if I would be that calm and collected, right. <laughs> and not be like, why are you interested in, you know, hanging out with a Nazi? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so for me, I I have found it personally to be uh, less of an issue, and I haven't come across it as something that strikes a negative feeling in me, mm-hmm. in spite of it seeming like a thing that I see a lot of people get very hung up on. So since I was in a relationship with x and they started gaining feelings for y suddenly it's a big fucking deal and it's mm-hmm. like okay well i it, my my poly brain is like hey let, let's talk about this why is that a problem that they started having feelings like were, were they being intentional were they like being deceptive i think the actions that come along with those feelings do they start lying to you are they starting to conceal that and then you look inward towards the relationship well, did I give them a reason to lie? Do they think that if they were vulnerable and honest with me about this, that I would immediately break up with them or flip out mm-hmm. and emotionally abuse them or just be mean? Right. Yeah. When the lying and the deception starts, I think that's a an indicator of the need for maintenance or yeah. reevaluation in any relationship. Yeah. I think we've we've covered a lot of good ground today. Is there any closing things that you want to pe- talk to people about? I-, I think that when we talk about cheating, it provides a good window into some of the differences between poly and monogamy. And one of the things that I would like to reiterate to people is that exclusivity doesn't automatically mean that your relationship is more important or mm-hmm. less important. Mm-hmm. And that cheating you can be cheated on in poly if somebody is trying to be dishonest with you about them being poly sometimes that's one of the things they might you know use to try to fool you and so if somebody's trying to tell you oh yeah it doesn't matter that my wife doesn't know at all mm-hmm. you know this is just like a little bit of an agreement of a between us or it doesn't really matter because i'm really poly at heart and my other obligations that i've made before this don't you know, aren't valid. Right. Don't don't believe that person. Yeah. You, you can be polyamorous. You can have strong ethics about what it means to be committed to people and agreeing to rules that you have buy into and that you've mutually agreed to without having to fool anyone or be deceptive toward, towards anyone at all. Yeah, I agree. The thing that I want to reiterate is just that your relationship is your own. And Uh, whatever agreements you make with your partners are unique to to you. And every relationship is different. And uh, when you enter into a relationship with someone or when you finally sit down and talk about your boundaries and maybe your rules, that's where you, that's where you get a foundation of trust. I think um, is by both of you continuing to follow you know, being respectful of each other's boundaries and yeah. and being safe when you play with other people or whatever your rules are. So I think that uh, I just I just want to reiterate that each relationship is unique and your your own relationship agreements are really whatever you and your partner want them to be. Yeah. And yes, cheating can totally happen in polyamory. It's just whenever you are dishonest or lying or breaking a boundary, and um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, what One thing that I thought of at the last minute mm-hmm. was if somebody is trying to make a rule or boundary that makes you uncomfortable or seems to conflict with your own 
morals or personal boundaries. Realize that sometimes incompatibilities happen, and some incompatibilities can be worked through, and others just mean that you are not compatible with that partner at all, and that's okay. That's very true. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, Kevin. Next up, we have an interview with Rachel, who is a parent and polyamorous. All right, and we're back. I want to welcome a good friend of mine, Rachel, who we wanted to talk a little bit today about having kids while you're polyamorous. Uh, Rachel, is there anything that you want to do to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rachel. (laughs) I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. So we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what it's like being polyamorous with kids. Uh, And so you very much are a mother of multiple children. I am definitely not a parent to any children. Uh, so what did, what did you want to try to talk about under that topic? Yeah. Um, so I have five kids. My oldest is seven and my youngest is four. And I'm raising them with my husband and my partner. And we all live together and <laughs> raise the kids together. And I want to talk about what it's like to to choose this kind of lifestyle and to raise the kids this way. And I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a fun conversation. Yeah, I know that uh, it can be very different from living a unattached uh, lifestyle like mine where I have no kids as responsibilities to kind of run. Or maybe that's an assumption I'm making. Uh, but I feel like that's something I've heard from people who, who do have kids that there are definitely other considerations that I never would have to make. Yeah, it's certainly different than than people who choose polyamory who don't have children. But it's probably, I mean, I probably have more freedom Mm -hmm. than what you might be thinking that it's like. Because when when you have multiple adults who raise the kids with you, then we all just like take shifts. And then usually I get breaks. I get time to myself. And I think I might get more time to myself than most adults who are raising their own children possibly in monogamous situations, you know, because we just have so many, we have so much support and so many other kids who, mm-hmm. or so many other parents who can yeah. help with childcare. Yeah. I, I've heard some people say that they really feel like being polyamorous has very much helped them and like uh, being able to raise kids and like having a multi adult household allowing for more financial flexibility than you might otherwise have That's if you goal, were stuck right? <laughs> in a dyad <laughs> or a two-person relationship. And, um, and more support is definitely the goal. Yeah. So what do you uh, feel like are the other like pros and maybe some cons about having uh, you know, kids while you're polyamorous? Yeah. I love the fact that my biological children have more siblings i think especially during the pandemic that's been such a such a boon for them that they've had more kids that they get to play with this whole time and i think it was good for my partner's biological children to have my kids as their siblings you know my bio kids as their Mm -hmm. siblings i think it's just like they're all so much happier together some other pros about raising kids as poly the time that 
my kids get with each parent tends to be high quality time because Mm -hmm. when we are on duty, we're really focused on those kids because then we get the breaks where we're not on parenting duty. So when we are on parenting duty, it's like we are really there for the kids and we get to really like make eye contact and have that quality attention that kids need and deserve. Yeah, that's really awesome that you get that recharge time and that allows you to really kind of focus in and uh, have more bandwidth for, you know, spending time with those kids. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like there are any cons that have kind of come up from being polyamorous? I think it's harder for me to ask other people to watch my kids because there are so many of them now. (laughs) You know, like it's harder for me to just hire any old babysitter. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, you have to have like experience with a lot of kids. You have to feel comfortable with a lot of kids at the same time. And we have to have pretty strict routines because there are so many of them that it's like, you. we have to make sure that everybody's actually getting things done. Mm -hmm. And maybe kids with, or maybe people with fewer kids can like, have more flexibility in their routines. But I feel like a lot of that is just having a lot of kids. Like I think parents who have a lot of kids or I know my twin mom friends would say very similar things. Like they can't just get any old babysitter. They can't just have flexibility throughout the day. They have to have stricter routines. Um, So it's not necessarily the polyamorous lifestyle that that makes things tricky in those ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you mind describing a little bit about uh, the makeup of your family? I think you've given us a little bit of an understanding, uh, but for our li- listeners' benefits, in your household, you have three adults. Uh, do you mind going into more detail about everybody's kind of relationship to one another? Sure. I'm the I'm the vertex <laughs> of the V. So, so my husband and I have been married for 11 years. We had three biological children together before we became polyamorous. And then I fell in love with my partner, and he already had two biological children. And we all came together and agreed to commit to building a family together mm-hmm. and raising our kids together. And we've been doing that now for two two and a half years that's awesome yeah it's been pretty great (laughs) the kids really enjoy it my my oldest biological daughter loves having a sister and i was never going to give her a sister you know she would be like please please give me a baby sister and i was like i'm not having any more children i hated being pregnant i don't want to do this anymore so i think that was a lot of work (laughs) i don't want to do it again (laughs) yeah yeah, so it worked out really well that my partner had a daughter. So now my oldest daughter loves being a big sister to her little sister. And it's it's like one of the cutest, sweetest relationships. And I think another beautiful thing about this blended family is the other relationships, the other interactions between the various people. Like my husband also has a really good relationship with my partner's biological daughter and it helped our youngest girl really come out of her shell she was really shy and quiet and reserved and her relationship with my husband 
in the way that they tease each other back and forth, like really helped her mm. open up and, and not be afraid of people. And that's just been beautiful to watch. That's really heartwarming. Does anybody in your current configuration date anybody else that has kids? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I, I date a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another aspect of it too, is that you have relationships outside of your home relationship. Yes. Where you have... You're, you're dating other parents that have kids. Yes, that's important. And it's one of the things that my husband is always sort of concerned about. He's always like worried that if we're making friends with and allowing the kids to make friends with other kids whose parents I'm dating, like what if things go sour and you break up with them and are the kids still going to be able to be friends with each other? And most of the time we are all able to stay friends even after we've broken up with each other and it's been really good. Um, we had, I mean, and if you don't mind me interjecting, like looking back onto my life as a child, there were people that lived in the neighborhood that were close friends of my parents. And after they moved, they were fairly absent from my life after that point. Like, uh, you know, I think something that you wanted to talk about a little bit was the idea of like how adults move in and out of people's lives because I, I know that's a concern that some people have yeah yeah a lot of people ask me about that oh I date all these people and they come in and out of my kids lives and isn't that harmful to the children and I just don't see it that differently from what you're like what you're describing where you know you have friends that move away or um or you have you get a new teacher every year in a public school situation, or you get a new coach, mm -hmm. or you get a new piano teacher, or you get a new therapist. Like people do, they come in and out of our lives, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, heartbreaking every single time. It can be sometimes it is, but most of the time, you you enjoy what you the time that you spent with that person, and then you move on. And you know, we're able to have fluidity and have flexibility with our connections with people. Yeah. And do you feel like, do you ever hear people give any sort of concerns about the the number of adults? Because the way I see it is kind of, I, I, I'll phrase it this way rather. I've heard other people show concern about being in polyamorous relationships as uh, almost an assumption that it's a resolving door. Yeah. And I don't see that as often the case, especially in adults that have children and young children, especially. Uh, I see that people are, tend to be more considerate and conscientious about when they bring adults into the kids' lives. That's so true, Kevin. I don't just bring everybody home. <laughs> you know, I date a lot of people, but I don't just bring all of them home. Yeah. And it's not. I, I've maybe I've got a misunderstanding, even though we're close friends. Like. I don't think that you are frequently dating uh, lots of people in quick succession. You're finding people and connecting with people, and occasionally those are long-term relationships. Is that right? Right, right. I have like short stints, or you know, the periodic one-night stand or whatever, and and those are the people I'm not bringing home. But if I yeah, if I'm meeting somebody and. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a solid connection. This is going to be a longer term connection. Then sure, I'll bring them home and let them meet my family. And most of the time, I don't worry whether it's going to be like serious, long term committed. You know, I just 
I'm okay with the flexibility and the fluidity and people coming in and out of my kids' lives in terms of like, like we talked about, you have friends, they move away, you get teachers and then you get a new teacher. I don't worry so much about how long the person is going to be in my life. But when I do date other people with children who have more strict boundaries around that, I absolutely respect those boundaries. I don't ever try to push what other people, you know, how they want to conduct their polyamorous relationships in, in light of their kids. So for instance, I've dated some, I dated a couple (laughs) and they did not want it to be obvious that I was their girlfriend in front of their children. And that's fine with me. Mm. I'm okay with, with not behaving that way in front of their children. I'm okay with just being like a family friend appearing person in front of the children. I think that's a totally valid thing to request from your from your partners and your boyfriends, your girlfriends. And I, I see a lot of this being very similar to how most people in healthy relationships handle being a divorced Definitely. parent and dating. And I see it very yeah, similar to that. That's such a good point. And honestly, the people that I've dated that that did want that kind of boundary around how we operate or what we say to the kids usually were parents who had been divorced. So they would have done the same thing with anybody they were dating because of Uh, their divorce history and their perspective and their lived experience. Whereas the people that I've dated that have been in long-term monogamous relationships that then became polyamorous, they tend to be more like, oh no, it's okay. You You can come over. They tend to be more trusting and like, okay with the openness in front of the kids i i that's just my experience of course well uh, thank you so much for talking about this i think uh, next week we're going to talk a little bit about uh should we tell the kids cool because that's a question that i get a lot from people who are newly polyamorous and uh, looking to open their relationship or that have been polyamorous for a while right. and starting oh to feel goodness, guilty. Oh my goodness, yeah. Every single person <laughs> that talks to me about this asks if if we've told the kids. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back Thank next you. week. Thank you so much, Rachel. This episode was edited by Jordan Davis. Music is by Anti Lude. And logo designed by Carmen Bolden. The best way that you can help support our podcast is by sharing it with your friends. Sharing is caring. 